You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. This is part 3 of our study through Romans chapter 1. And the sermon is entitled, The Best News. The Best News. The great homiletician, Dr. Fred Craddock, tells a story of a young female student at Emory who came into his office mystified. She explained that she was not a Christian and had not attended church. There came a time when she had reacted to a low ebb in her life and intended to commit suicide. She had gone to a high bridge and would jump into the river below. Then something stopped her. The term gospel means good tidings or good news, or as I've labeled it today, the best news. It has a note of excitement to it. Gospel is the type of message you would shout across the street to a friend or neighbor, I got the job. I got accepted. I got engaged. Those are all gospel-type messages. They're good news messages. Typically, we don't feel ashamed about declaring good news. However, when it comes to the gospel in this Bible, there seem to be many situations when we feel ashamed to declare it. In what situations do you find yourself being ashamed or embarrassed of the gospel that's in the Bible. Why should you and I not be ashamed of this gospel? In today's passage, Romans 1.16, I had intended to preach verses 16 and 17, but there's just too much, and I'm sure you want to get out by 2 o'clock today. But Romans 1.16 and 17, they comprise the heart of the book of Romans. Some say it's the heart of the entire New Testament, and some go as far to say it's the heart of the entire Bible. The Apostle Paul had just shared with us in verse 15 that he is eager to come to Rome and preach the gospel. He's chomping at the bit to get there. Why is Paul so eager to preach a gospel that many of us, if we were frank and honest and transparent, would be ashamed to share with someone? The big question I want us to explore this morning is, why should we, like Paul, not be ashamed of the gospel? Let's just read the first clause of Romans 1.16. He says this, For I am not ashamed of what? The gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now let's first ask a basic question. 
What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Write this down in your notes. The gospel is God's solution in Christ for our sins. The gospel, the good news, the best news you can ever hear is God's solution in Christ for your sin and my sin. There are three essential features to the gospel. You have not conversed or declared the gospel unless you present all three of these features. Now, they're not talked about here, but they're talked about in one of my other favorite passages, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. Just write that down. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. The first feature that we see that's a part of the gospel is, number one, a crucified Christ. A crucified Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, the very second part of the verse says this, Christ died. We mentioned this all the way back in our first sermon on Romans chapter 1 and verses 2 through 3, that the Christ is the Old Testament Messiah, the chosen one, the one who was promised beforehand in the Old Testament scriptures, who would be of the line of David and who would become the Messiah King of Israel. Now catch this, because this will become important in a minute. The Messiah, the warrior king of Israel, according to 1 Corinthians 15, Christ did what? He died. He died. So we have a crucified Christ, a crucified king. The second feature, and you can write this down in your notes, is a sinful humanity. A sinful humanity. The scriptures declare to us the purpose or the significance of the crucified Christ. The verse goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins. Sin is anything and everything that we have done contrary to the word of God. God has revealed his will in God's law in his word. And there's things he's told us not to do, and there's things he's told us to do, and we've been guilty on both accounts. We've all acted out of anger. We've all acted out of lust. We've all acted in the sense that we've had to swear to people in order to establish our testimony that is trustworthy. We've all been foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures. We've lived in malice and anger and envy and jealousy and bitterness. We've hated ourselves. We've hated others. We destroy relationships with others. And the culmination of all of this is this. We have a broken and a destroyed relationship with God. And so all of us have sinned. And the crucified Christ has died for all of sinful humanity. Now, if the, if the good news or the best news ended there, that's a bleak picture. But here's the third feature, and absolutely essential to the gospel is this, the risen Lord. The risen Lord Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is not some metaphorical or spiritual resurrection church. I need you to catch this. Jesus of Nazareth got up out of that grave come Sunday morning. And when he did that, he proved who he said he was. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. I am the King. 
And there is salvation found in no one else but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That is the features of the gospel. But here's what Paul says, and I love this. He says, I'm not ashamed of that gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed to preach about a crucified Christ. I'm not ashamed to talk about a sinful humanity. I'm not ashamed to talk about a risen Lord. No, think about it for a minute. He should be. He should be. Paul has an incredible vocabulary. Paul has a wonderful vernacular. Paul could have wrote this verse this way. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul could have said this, I am mighty proud and confident of the gospel. That's not what he says. He says, I'm not ashamed. Now imagine this for a moment, and I received her permission to use this as an illustration. Imagine you come to me and you go, Josh, how do you feel about your wife? I said, well, I'm not ashamed of her. Some of y'all be like, bro, you can come sleep over at our house tonight. Paul, how do you feel about the gospel? Well, I'm not ashamed of it. See, we, we love this verse so much and we kind of lift it to this extraordinary realm and we fail to realize how it would have sounded to the first hearers. Paul goes, I'm eager to preach the gospel and by the way, I'm not ashamed of it. Now here's what that infers. There infers that there were some embarrassing features to the gospel. There were some things that the average man, so to speak, should have been ashamed of. He actually spells this out. You can read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. 1 Corinthians 1, 23. Listen to what Paul says. But we preach Christ crucified. Notice this. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. There were some deeply ingrained social reasons for being embarrassed about the gospel that I just talked to you about. Think about it. For the Jews, you were telling the Jews that he would preach to, hey, remember your warrior-like king that was prophesied? He would come and overthrow your enemies and establish David's throne forever? You remember him? And they're like, yes, amen. The Romans crucified him. What? Do you see how that can be embarrassing? And then think about the Gentiles, the Romans. When he goes to preach to the Romans, he goes, there was this carpenter from Nazareth that you convicted as a criminal and crucified, and he's been raised from the dead. He is the powerful son of God, and only salvation comes through his name. Pause, Paul. Roll that back. Did you say that we crucified him? Do you see how ingrained in the gospel in his day and age to go around preaching it? Jews and Gentiles would have scratched their heads going, this man is out of his mind. Paul preached it anyway. I wonder why. Today the gospel fosters labels for us. Here's what we get called today. We're narrow-minded. We're bigoted. And actually, I understand from their perspective why they see us that way. Before we can tell the good news, the best news, we have to tell 
the worst news that they've ever heard. That every single person, and if you're a visitor today, I submit this to you with gentleness and respect, but it's the absolute truth. You're a spiritual failure. You're a sinner. Now, it doesn't matter how decent, moral, or religious you are, we all have fallen short of God's glorious standard of our life. And if we were to die today, we'd spend eternity in hell separated from Him. That's the gravity of our sin. And it offends people to tell that the only way to appease the wrath of God was that God would have to send His own Son to bleed and die on a cross on Calvary to satisfy His holy righteous demands. That is an offensive message, church. It is. And then we take it one step further. We say this, and this man has rose from the dead. He's the only hope of forgiveness and eternal life. And when you start talking about the resurrection, then they not only talk about how narrow-minded you are, they talk about how simple-minded you are, how stupid you must be to believe that, or how deluded you are. That's the kind of offense, the embarrassment that the gospel gives in our postmodern culture. Church, we preach it anyway. We preach it anyway. Why? Why should we not be ashamed of the gospel? Got to look at the second clause. I've given you all of Paul's reasons for why he could have been ashamed. Oh, he said, but I didn't tell you why I'm not ashamed. He says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. (laughs) I forgot to mention one thing to you. The power of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is actually the power of God in verbal cognitive form. This excites me. God has wedded His saving power to the words of the gospel. His power to save is now tied to the proclamation, the declaration, the sharing of the best news in the world that Christ died for a sinful humanity and rose from the dead in victory. And that can change you and save you, forgive you, and give you eternal life. Write it down. When the gospel is preached, God's saving power is unleashed. He says, that's why I know it's embarrassing. I know they think I'm crazy. But you know what I found out? I preach this word and people's lives get changed. I preach this word and people are taken from the domain of darkness and transferred into God's beloved son's kingdom. He says, so I can't give up on this message yet. It's the power of God unto salvation. Now, what is salvation? What is salvation? Salvation is deliverance from danger. Write it down. Salvation is deliverance from danger. Now, some of you came in today. Somebody dragged you into church, promised you lunch, and then all of a sudden you get told you're in danger. I didn't think that's how that works. There are two types of dangers. There are two dimensions to danger. Number one, there is an immediate danger to ourselves. Write it down. There is an immediate danger to ourselves. Romans 1, the rest of Romans is going to paint the absolute horrible predicament humanity has put itself in. But for the time being, know this. When you and I sin against God, 
there are consequences for the sin. All right? And so when we sin against God, while yes, we're raising our fist against Him, you know what we're also doing to our own foolishness? We're unraveling our own lives. God's commands are not random. They are meant for our good. He's not just trying to see how, how burdensome He could be to us. He's saying, don't do this for your good. So when we do it and we experience the consequences, we bring wrath, God's wrath, on ourselves. Some of you right now, and I submit it with generous and respect, your life is unraveling in front of you, and you've wondered, what is it fundamentally at its core? What is causing this problem and this brokenness? The Bible says it's sin. You're actually in rebellion against God. You are in immediate danger to yourself. But that's not the only deliverance that's encompassed in, in salvation. The second one is this. There is a future danger of God's judgment. And I know no one likes to talk about this. I don't enjoy talking about it as a preacher. But I have to tell you the truth and warn you about what is to come. Because of our sinful rebellion against God, His authority as our Creator and His revealed will for us written in His law, God's holy, righteous judgment has condemned all of us to experience His wrath forever. This is not fabricated. This is not imaginary. The judgment of God is looming over every single one of us. All of us will stand before God and give an account of every moment of our lives before Him. And in case you don't know, this God to whom you will give an account to knows the very number of the hairs on your head. He knows every vile affection that resides in the recesses of your heart. He knows every dark imagination in the depths of your mind. He knows you're down-sitting. He knows you're uprising. Nothing is hidden from His view. In case you wonder, what is He going to say? What is the sentence? The Bible actually tells us the sentence of our judgment has already been passed. Jesus said this. Listen to John 3.18. Ready? Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Do you understand this? The only avenue of salvation that God has given to mankind is the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. So to not believe Him for forgiveness is to stand already condemned. Listen to what Matthew 10, 28 says. Jesus says, Don't fear those who will kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. And here he says, Fear him. He's speaking about God, not Satan. Fear God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's the future danger that awaits all of us. Hebrews 9, 27. Write it down. And just as it is appointed for people to die once, after this, the judgment. Church, whether you wanted it or not, you have two appointments to keep. 
one with death, and one with God's judgment. That is inevitable. You say, so what's the good news, right? You just heard the worst possible news you could ever hear. Due to our own sin, we are a danger to ourselves now, and we will experience the danger in the future of God's judgment. Is there any hope? Well, that's the part we're not ashamed of. God's here to save us. He wants to do two things. God, number one, wants to salvage us. He wants to salvage us. That's actually a part of salvation. Salvage our lives right here, right now. My wife, Mandy, and my best friend, Lavonner, they got a knack for this salvaging junk stuff, and I hate it. My house is full of stuff we don't need that's just rusting, and I keep forgetting this is being streamed live. Who knows what's being typed out in all the chats right now by my wife. But it just accumulates in our house. Just junk. Useless. Everybody go, well, I'm splitting the church up as I'm preaching. Every now and then, every now and then, I'll give this to Mandy, I'll give this to Lavonna. They'll pull out something on a weekend they got time to invest in, and they'll work on it. And they take trash, and they turn it to treasure. Or they take trash, and they turn it to cash. And then I really have to eat my words. I love this church. God's in the salvaging business. He is. Our sin has ruined us for good work. We're done. There's nothing left but literally to throw us in the junk pile, hell. And he goes, wait a second, I can do something with that. I can do something with that. The Holy Spirit, when we repent of our sins and trust Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit fills our lives and begins to change us, slowly and surely. He's taking the trash, turning it into treasure. He's taking things that should have been cast out, thrown out. Hey, we've damaged our lives beyond repair. God's going, I'm not done yet. I can salvage it. But where does the salvaging begin? It doesn't begin until someone gets up and preaches the good news of the gospel. But all of us, all of us are in need of salvaging and the gospel says, and God can do it in Christ. The second thing that God wants to do is He wants to give us a safe haven. This is where we have to look at what Jesus has done on the cross. And when I say He's given us a safe haven, I'm not necessarily talking about the place heaven. I believe heaven is real. Here's what I need you to see. In Christ, in Christ, when Jesus hung on that cross, He appeased, He absorbed, He is satisfied, He paid for all of God's wrath against sin. He took it on Himself. Our safe haven is Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, we are placed into Him and we are now in a safe haven. We are clothed in the righteousness of God. Do you get that? That when God looks at us, He sees His Son on us. That's a part of the salvation. You wonder why Paul's not ashamed yet? <laughs> John 5, 24, Jesus says this, Truly, I love Jesus, he amens himself. Amen! He's like, you haven't preached yet, I'm about to. Amen! I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Church, I don't know about you. I like that part about not coming under judgment. I've passed from death to life. You say when? 
the moment I believed in Jesus as my safe haven. Despite its embarrassing features, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. Why? The big answer. The gospel is God's saving power. I can't give up. Yeah, the Jews don't like about it when I talk about their crucified Christ. And the Romans think I'm foolish to talk about a carpenter who's been raised. But boy, when I get up and preach the gospel, people's lives are salvaged and they go from death to life and to never experience the judgment of God and spend eternity in heaven with Him. I'm going to keep preaching it. So what does that mean for you and me? We know what it means for Paul. Look at the rest of the verse, Romans 1.16. Look at that last part. The power of God for salvation. Notice this. To everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. Everyone. 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 The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for the Black Lives Matter protester. The gospel is for the immigrant crossing our southern border. The gospel is for the white police officer. The most divided groups in our nation, the gospel is for them too. Each person is created in the image of God. Each person is counted by Jesus as having worth. You say, how do I know? Because my Jesus bled and died for every one of them. But who receives it? That's the question. Is this just automatically, universally applied? I wish that were the case. God is sovereign. He sets the prerogative. Notice what it says. Everyone who believes. We get determined to get rid of sin. You'll hear sermons like this and you go, I just need to live a better life. You are missing the point. There is no amount, we're going to talk about it in verse 17 next week. There is no amount you can do to tip the scales to outweigh the righteousness of God that's against you. Okay? It is a gift of salvation. And how do we receive this mercy, this grace, this pardon? We do it by believing. Now, what do I mean by believing? Some people will hear this message and think, make believe. That basically is this. If I make believe that the resurrection happened, then the resurrection happened. No, this is not a fairy tale. I'm not preaching a fable to you. I'm not preaching a myth to you. I'm also not asking you to give me cognitive uh, consent or assent and give me historical conviction. What I'm saying is this. Some people think I mean believe as in, do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth died by crucifixion? Do you believe that humanity has a problem? Do you believe that it's possible that a man could come back from the grave? That's not what I'm asking you. I am not giving you a history test. All right? I'm asking a much different question. This is the question I'm asking. Do you believe Christ died for your sins? Significantly different. Do you believe that you yourself are a sinner and deserve hell? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead for your justification, your forgiveness, and eternal life? That's the question. Ladies and gentlemen, I can give you my defense of the gospel. Let me say it this way. To believe that Jesus died and rose again is history. To believe he died and rose again for you is salvation. 
That's what I'm asking you to believe. Do you believe it yourself? He died for me. He rose for me. And I am a sinner. The minute that you do that, you will taste the power of God and salvation. I like how one person put it. Salvation is a gift. And believing in Jesus, His death, His burial, His resurrection for our sins, is the hand of the heart that receives that gift. The hand of the heart that receives it. It's all been provided. Did you notice that? It's all there. Will you receive it? Faith is the hand of the heart that goes, I'll take it. Notice who it goes to. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is not a matter of preference. It's a matter of promise. He promised the Scriptures, through the Scriptures, the Gospel beforehand to the Jew first. So they had first dibs. Jesus came to His people and the Gospel went from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the world. But here's the part I want you to see. Notice, even the ones who were close to God still had to believe. You could have been brought up in church all your life, the most religious person you can be. Guess what? Do you believe Jesus? You could be as far away from God, completely uneducated in spiritual things. Same question, do you believe in Jesus? There may be a priority, so to speak, who hears first, but the outcome's the same. Do you believe in Jesus? So to you, so what? If you're an unbeliever, write this down. You must believe. You must believe. That's it. You say, you mean to tell me Jesus has done everything. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is not about what you can do for God. It's about what God has already done for you. Before you could look His way, before you could say a prayer, before you could think if anything good, Jesus like, already did it. The response of us is saving faith. You must believe. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. I'm going to ask you, is there any reason you shouldn't believe in Jesus right now for salvation? Any reason right now why you shouldn't believe? The second thing that I want to tell believers, believers, you've already received this salvation. Are you ashamed of it? I think here's what we would say is this. No, we understand in our day and age, just like Paul's, there are some embarrassing features to the gospel. Yep, listen to this church. You go and share the gospel, somebody will be offended by it. So what does that mean? Are we to wait for this empowerment that overcomes every fear, every possible fear before we share it? That's not what the scriptures give us. Paul says, I'm not ashamed, meaning there's reason to be ashamed, but I found a more sufficient reason to share it anyway. So here's what I want you to do. Share it scared. Write it down. Share it scared. If you wait till you eliminate all of your fears, you'll never share it. If he waited, if Paul goes, you know what? When the Jews stopped criticizing this crucified Christ and the Romans stopped thinking it's foolishness to talk about a resurrection, I'll get on the platform and preach it. Y'all, we would never have the New Testament. <laughs> He'd be dead waiting on it. You know what he says? No, fundamentally is this. Some people won't like it. It will offend some 
and others, they may just not get it. But for the time, believe it, the time being, I believe it is the power of God into salvation. So I'm going to share it scared. I'm going to give it to you anyway. I heard this question this week from Dr. James Merritt, and it has messed me up, and I want to mess it up for you too. Listen to what he asks. He says, if you were lost without Christ, and every Christian shared the gospel as much as you share the gospel, would you hear the gospel? I'll say it again. If you were lost without Christ, and every Christian shared the gospel as much as you share the gospel, would you ever hear the gospel? I think some of us right now, you go like, I would be lost. Share it scared. Share it scared. Why? Because no matter what the world thinks, it's God's saving power. Let's go back to that young woman who came into Dr. Craddock's office. She asked Dr. Craddock to explain what happened to her. She was about to jump from that high bridge to commit suicide and something stopped her. It was a verse of scripture that popped into her mind. My life is not my own. I have been bought with the price. Dr. Craddock asked her questions. Are you sure you've never read the Bible? Yeah, quite sure. Are you sure you've never attended church? Yes, she said, and then she hesitated. Oh, when I was a little girl, my grandmother took me to vacation Bible school. Would you remember anything about that? Craddock asked. Only that we were asked to write out some sentences on a little strips of paper and memorize them. I guess they were Bible verses. Craddock smiled and said, You see, God stored that gospel word up in your heart so that one day it would save you. And indeed it has. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.